We meet today in Psalm chapters 44 and 45. Chapter 44 tells of Israel's cry during the Great Tribulation. This section that we have come to, and especially this psalm, is another miscal psalm, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Although it is impossible to determine the historical condition in Israel that called forth this prayer, we do know the prophetic interpretation. This will be the final experience of the faithful remnant of Israel before their Messiah returns to deliver them. Psalm 44 verse 1 says, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days, in days of old. Now, Gideon said the same thing when we read in Judges chapter 6 verse 13. Gideon said to him, O oh my God, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see, in that day of trouble, just when God is on the verge of delivering them again, Israel will refer to God's help in the past. God has intruded in history before, and he will do it again. And sometimes it is also good for us to count our blessings so that we see God in perspective. It is also good to remind the Lord what he did in our lives, and that brings hope and assurance in us for what he can do with whatever present situation we may be facing. Psalm 44 verse 2 says, You drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out. You see, this refers to the time of Moses and Joshua. God evicted the inhabitants of Canaan because of their gross sin of idolatry, and he planted his chosen people there. Psalm 44 verse 3 for they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm serve them. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. You see, it was God who gave the land to the children of Israel. They did not capture it because of their own strength or cleverness. No. Now, for our personal application, we see this word, your right hand. You see, your right hand is the mighty bared arm of God in salvation revealed 2,000 years ago at the cross. Then listen to his heart cry that comes from him. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. That is Psalm 44 verse 4. Now, I hope you understand that Jacob is the man Jacob the Jacob who became the nation of Israel. When he cries, you are my king, O God, he is talking about Israel's king. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ is Israel's king, and he will return to deliver his suffering people. Of course, there is application for us, but let us keep the psalm in correct perspective so that they will be more meaningful to us even as we continue. He is our king. 
Psalm 44 verse 5 and verse 6. Through you, we will push back our enemies. Through your name, we will tremble those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword serve me. This is terrific. Now, you see, in that day of tribulation, the godly remnant of Israel is going to ask for revenge. They will be under the law and they will have a right to speak like that. Today, we are not to pray for those who deceitfully use us. We are told even to love our enemies. That is the New Testament understanding of how we relate. Now, that is a very difficult thing to do. But we can turn our enemies to the Lord. We are not to revenge. We are not to avenge ourselves because the Lord Jesus said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. There are many people whom we should actually turn over to the Lord. Not just for salvation, but even for the reasons of vengeance. I'm not talking about people who have caused us some personal grievance, but those who are trying to hinder the giving out of the word of God. It is a terrible thing to try to blacken the name of a man or woman who stands for the things of God. You should be careful before you criticize even your pastor or even the local evangelist in your town. Make sure your facts are true. Some people actually just accuse and blame the people whom God has actually brought to do his work. To some people, a pastor represents God's cause on the earth. They will judge God largely by what he says. Now, if you discredit that person, you discredit God in their eyes. I think this is why many young people have actually turned away from the Bible and the church. The reason is that they have grown up in Christian homes where their parents have really just spoke negatively against the preacher every Sunday. It is wrong to discredit a man who is giving out the word of God. If things seem to be wrong, we should actually ask God to intervene rather than to try to take matters into our own hands. But this kind of a prayer will be applicable to the nation of Israel when they are once again under the law during their time of trouble. Psalm 44 verse 22 says, Yet for your name's sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. This verse is quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 36, underscoring the biblical truth that sometimes suffering is a part of God's purpose for his children. However, this verse is not a picture of the church right now. There are many believers suffering for Christ's sake, yes, but by and large, the church is not under great persecution. However, the remnant of Israel will be persecuted. And it is the remnant that is in view here. I want to keep that clear, my friend. Psalm 44 verse 23 says, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Now here is a cry for God to wake up. Well, God is not asleep. But it is now here in their desperation that the remnant Israel cries out. 
during the time of the Maccabees between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the enemies of Israel came to the foreground. As far as the past is concerned, it was the time that Israel suffered more than at any other time in their history. But it will be nothing compared to the future suffering they will endure during the Great Tribulation period. But during the Maccabean period, there was a group of priests who were called the workers. They were the ones who cried out to God saying, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? During this time, people felt like God was asleep. But John Hyrcanus, one of the great Maccabees, a high priest, put an end to this practice. He asked the people, Does the deity sleep? Has the scripture not said, Behold, the keeper of Israel does not slumber and does not sleep? Now, you don't have to ask God to wake up even though there are times when you feel like it is. In that future day, the remnant of Israel will feel that God is asleep and they will say, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? When that day comes, God will not be asleep. He will be ready to move in. He will not cast off his people forever. And that is wonderful hope. Psalm 44 verse 24 to verse 26 says, Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us. For your mercy's sake. Now, from the darkest moment in the history of this world, comes a cry from the remnant of God to redeem them for his mercy's sake. This is a plea for help and justice. Again, we can also ask God, in whatever situation, he will rescue us for his mercy's sake. Psalm chapter 45 talks of the coming of Christ now to establish his kingdom on the earth. Psalm 45 is a messianic psalm and so quoted in the epistle to the Hebrews. This is another mystical psalm. That is a psalm for instruction written by the sons of Korah and it is inscribed to the chief musician upon Shoshanim, which means lilies. It is actually a picture of Christ as the Messiah. He is the lily of the valley as well as the rose of Sharon blossoming in the shades of hell. Now in translating this, the Tagamon adds, Thy beauty, O King Messiah, is greater than that of the children of men. Isn't that amazing? So this very wonderful psalm speaks of the second coming of Christ. Now, this changes the, the tenor of the psalm from the cry of a people who are in anguish of tribulation to the glorious triumph of the coming king. As it is described in Revelation chapter 19, our Lord Jesus Christ spoke of it also in Matthew 24 verse 29 and 30. And this is the hope of Israel. It is the hope of the world. Psalm 45, verse 1. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite a composition concerning the king, 
My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Now, there is something he must say, and he wishes he could tell it because his tongue moves faster than his pen. That is true of many people today. Have you ever been excited about something and have tried to put it in a letter to a friend? And when you read it over, you see how inadequate it is and you wish you could tell it instead of write. You wish you could pick up a telephone and call so that you just speak instead of writing. Well, the psalmist couldn't call us by a telephone, no. So we have the psalm written to us in print form. But he wished if he could just speak to us. So the Messiah, his person and power is revealed in this psalm. Psalm 45 verse 2. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. My friend, this is a lovely psalm which is occupied with the person of Christ. Paul mentioned that, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Second Corinthians 3 verse 18. My friend, we need to behold him more. In this psalm, we are seeing him not as a savior, but as a king. Psalm 45 verse 3. Gird your sword upon you, your thigh, O most mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. This again is a picture of Christ coming forward, not as a savior, but as a king at his second coming. Israel expected Messiah to come to earth with a sword. The first time he came to earth, he came without a sword. You will recall that when Jesus was arrested, one of his disciples drew his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus said, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Matthew 26:52. In our day, they are looking for the Messiah that is Israel. They are looking for one who will bring peace without a sword. But Psalm 2 verse 9 says of the Lord, You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Psalm 2 speaks of Christ's coming to earth the second time. In fact, it is quoted several times in the book of Revelation in respect of his second coming. When Christ returns, he is going to find the world in rebellion. The Antichrist will be in power. He will be persecuting God's people, both the remnant of Israel and that great company of Gentiles who tend to God. Then there is another statement here. Grace is poured into his lips. That is a wonderful one that is emphasized but there will also be condemnation and judgment i think we ought to be realistic not just idealistic judgment will come when christ comes he will have to come in power and wrath against a world that is in rebellion against him will be shown psalm 45 verse 4 and in your majesty 
ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. The Lord is marching out in splendor here, you see. Notice that he is riding to victory. And there are three planks of his platform. Truth, humility, and righteousness. Or if you like, injustice. Do you know of any political candidate today who uses these three planks in his platform when they are campaigning? Well, the candidates don't sound humble to me, and I wonder about the truth of their statements and righteousness. Well, the whole motive is to get elected into office, not to do right, no, but actually to feed self. How this continent and its nations needs candidates who will speak the truth, who show humility, and who go all out for righteousness. You see, righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a disgrace to any people. There are eternal principles here. You see, righteousness, humility, and truth are eternal principles of the Lord's kingdom. No president, no leader, no dictator or king has ever come to power on the platform of truth, humility, and justice. And righteousness. No. That is what has been seen in the history of the world. But Christ is a different king. The character of Christ is truth. His words are truth. Yet men call him a liar. But all men are liars, not Christ. You won't hear the truth today in parliament halls or in the mats of trade or even in the industrial complexes or in our college campuses. Or read it even in our newspaper or hear it on TV and radio. Why? Because all news is slanted. Unfortunately, you can't even hear the truth in many of our churches today. But our Lord Jesus is coming to power on the platform of truth, humility and righteousness. Someone has said, if you wish to astonish the whole world, tell the truth. That is the way our Lord is going to come in power. And it will be startling. It will be astonishing. Psalm 45, verse 5. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The people fall under you. You see, this is the portrait of the king who is coming to earth in power. The Messiah again revealed his government and his glory is shown. This is the coronation day, and the coronation day is actually key to the whole psalm. We read Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Hallelujah. He is going to rule in righteousness. How the world needs a righteous ruler. Regarding his return to earth, the Lord Jesus himself said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Matthew 25 verse 31. Not until then will we have peace on the earth. That is the need of the world. We need a ruler who is like that. Psalm 45 verse 7 You love righteousness and hate wickedness. 
Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You see here, the anointed one is the Messiah, of which Christ is the Greek form. It is not a name, but it is his official title. The first time he came, he came as prophet, the messenger and the message of God, which refers to the past. In our day, Christ is our great high priest at the right hand of God. That is his present ministry. But his coming at the second time will be as king, the Messiah. Now this is the future. God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. It is unfortunate that we tend to think of him as a man of sorrow. I believe that he was the most joyful, joyous person on the earth when he was here. And here he was anointed with the oil of gladness. That this is a messianic psalm referring to our Lord Jesus Christ is fully attested by the quotation of these two verses in the epistle to the Hebrews. We read, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. That is a quotation from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 to verse 9. Remember Hebrews chapter 1, the whole epistle is actually talking of the supremacy of Christ. Thus, this psalm is a messianic psalm. The critic who attempts to apply this psalm to Solomon or some unknown king fails to note that he is addressed as God. It is not conceivable that Solomon or any other king would be addressed as God. The entire first chapter of Hebrews presents our Lord Jesus Christ in his exaltation, being the express image of God, far superior to angels and seated at the right hand of God. Psalm 45 verse 8. All your garments are sainted with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. You see, he came to this earth that our joy may be full. And it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Oh, how we as believers need to rejoice. The tribe of Judah, which means praise, led the children of Israel in the wilderness march. Yet they complained, they wind, they sang the desert blues when they should have been praising God. This is the same thing with the church today. My friend, believers should be praising God, not complaining, not winning. At Christmas time, we sing the song, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let the earth receive her king. You see, that is actually not a Christmas hymn at all. That hymn refers to Christ's second coming and should not be actually just limited to a seasonal section of our hymn book or at that time to sing joy to the world. Let us sing joy to the world even today. Moving down in this wonderful psalm, we have a scene at court. Psalm 45 verse 9. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hands, the queen in gold from Ophir. 
You see, the church is not mentioned by name in the Old Testament, but I believe you see it in the type or in figures of speech. I think most of the brides in the Old Testament are pictures of Christ and his bride, the church. Examples of this are Eve, Rebecca, and Ruth. Who is the queen in this verse now? I believe she is a picture of the church, although she is not specifically identified, and Christ will lift her to the throne. Psalm 45 verse 10. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. We are to leave the world. We are not to love the world. We have been saved out of it. We are to cling to the Lord. What an admonition. Psalm 45 verse 11. So shall the king greatly desire your beauty, for he is your Lord, and you worship him. The church is to be made beautiful. All sin will be removed. And when that has been done, you see, the Lord will be attracted to the church. The king will greatly desire your beauty, for he is your Lord. What a prospect this is, my friend. Psalm 45 verse 17 says, I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. You see, this verse speaks of the millennial kingdom. But the kingdom goes on into eternity after the Lord has made a few adjustments, which includes Satan being loosed for a time and then he's being cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. This is a glorious psalm, and when it is put in proper perspective, it has a greater meaning for Israel, but even for us. You see, I will remember your name. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. Wonderful prospect. And when you are on the Lord's side, it is good to know that we have God's promise and his promise is one which is sure because he is the Lord of truth, the way and the life. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620 South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620 South Africa.